since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. They laid Jesus' body in a tomb. This is the day we remember and mark Jesus' execution and his rushed, unglamorous funeral. This is what we do on Good Friday, every single year. We remember that Jesus had to die. I didn't get to introduce myself earlier in the service. My name is Rob, and I'm one of the pastors here. And no matter where or when you are joining us from, I just want to thank you for joining us today for this special service. We've just heard the full account of how Jesus was led to the cross. And no matter what you think about Jesus, whether you follow him or whether you're a skeptic, whether you're exploring faith or in some sort of strange middle ground, I think this is a really significant and special story for us to come and consider together. This is an account that Christians have been telling and retelling for 2,000 years. The story of how possibly the most iconic person in all of history unjustly died on a Roman cross. It's so important for Christians that we've even given it its own special day, Good Friday. And often when we hear the story of someone dying a martyr's death, we we might feel a desire to feel sympathy for that person. Martyrdom is, is a powerful way to raise awareness of a cause, to try and motivate people to some sort of political action and response. But that's not quite why Jesus died. The South African author, uh, Johannes Novel Geldenheis, says, Christ does not merely desire to be regarded with emotional sympathy as the great sufferer. He needs no one's sympathy, for his suffering is forever past. He goes on to say, We have indeed to think with contrite and grateful hearts of the suffering which he endured for our sakes. But sympathy for him is now out of place. He's saying we shouldn't feel sorry for poor old Jesus. Instead, he says we should feel contrite and grateful, feel sorrowful and thankful. But why should we feel sorrowful and thankful for Jesus' suffering? I want to spend some time today unraveling the story we just read and and tracing a few of the threads together. And specifically, I want to, to continue our look at the journey of Simon Peter. Because by looking at Simon Peter, I think we can come to understand what Jodenheis is on about, why we should feel sorrowful and thankful. So really quickly, who is Simon Peter? Well, Simon was one of Jesus' disciples, and Jesus gives him a nickname, Peter. He's known for being brash and brazen, bold and, well, a a little bit foolish too. Peter was a zealous Jew, and he was loyal to Jesus. He was the first to say that Jesus was the Christ, the promised Messiah who would come to save God's people. But some of his expectations about what that meant were, were tempered and were seasoned and warped by the cultural expectations of his day. In his eagerness to devote himself to Jesus, he would often blurt out things like, I'll follow you anywhere, and where else would I go? And I would go to prison for you. It can often feel to us today maybe that he was trying to prove his loyalty, as though trying to make up for some sort of insecurity 
I think when he said these things, he was genuine when he said them to Jesus. And that makes the beginning of our readings today all the more ominous. And it must have felt devastating for Peter. Jesus had just told his disciples that he's going away and that his disciples won't be able to follow him yet. And confused, Peter looks to him and he says in chapter 13, verse 37, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Bold and brazen Peter. He says he would follow Jesus anywhere. But then we read, Jesus answered him, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Now talk about taking the wind out of your sails. It's almost as if Jesus is trying to call Peter's bluff. Jesus is known for calming the raging storm and seas. But with these few words, I can only imagine the sort of inner storm it caused within Peter. Jesus just told this guy who's been following him for the last three years, who he's eaten with, traveled with, and, and walked with all over the place, that Peter, his friend, is going to abandon him that very night. And perhaps it's because of what Jesus said, challenging and questioning Peter's loyalty. Perhaps that's why Peter then did something very brash and brazen just a little bit later. We jump ahead to when Jesus is betrayed by Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see that Peter is there too. And when the soldiers come to arrest P Jesus, Peter suddenly pulls out a sword and he jumps to Jesus' defense. And in his haste, he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. And we're told this person he struck had a name, Malchus. Now, isn't that an unfortunate way to be remembered in the annals of history? Malchus, the guy whose ear got cut off when he was trying to arrest Jesus. And then we see P Jesus turn and say to Peter, put your sword into its sheath. Jesus rebuked Peter for rushing to his defense, for trying to stop him from being arrested. In one of the other Gospels, we see that Jesus then heals Malchus's ear. And after that, he's led away as a prisoner and rushed to a secret trial in the middle of the night. As the story continues, we're told, Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Now, to Peter's credit, he's stubborn. Even though he's just been rebuked by Jesus twice, he still follows. He followed along behind. He wanted to see. We're told that his other disciple, John, was recognized and allowed to go through into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter stood outside, watching what was going on from outside the door. And John looks back and he sees Peter's out there, and he, so he comes back to let Peter in. And he talks to the girl who's keeping watch over the door. She's kind of like the bouncer. And he brings Peter in. And he's walking through the door. The girl turns to him and says, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? You can imagine the, the tone of, of accusation and, and condescension in her voice. Oh, you're with him too? You're one of that guy's disciples? Did you follow him too? 
Or perhaps she was just asking these with innocent curiosity. Even so, it's really easy to imagine that Peter is starting to feel disillusioned. After all, he had these ideas of who Jesus was going to be and the things he believed and hoped that Jesus would do. This was the Messiah, the person sent by God that they had been waiting for. He was the chosen one. But here he is in chains. How could Jesus be the chosen one if now he was facing trial? And now John comes over and he says, hey, let that guy come in too. Peter's been invited to join the party by an insider, a known associate of Jesus. Now everyone's looking at Peter and wondering, oh, are you with him too? And feeling that weight of association, coupled with the confusion about how everything got to this point, and the disillusionment of realizing Jesus wasn't what he expected, it's too much. And emphatically, Peter says, I am not. And rather than going with John to stand beside Jesus, Peter goes over to stand with the servants and soldiers in the corner and warms himself by their charcoal fire. The trial goes on, and Jesus is questioned by the officials through all the watches of the night at his shadow trial. And over there in the corner, by the charcoal fire, Peter stands, listening, watching, and keeping himself warm. Maybe he's awkwardly bantering back and forth with the other servants and soldiers around him. The events of the past day keep going around and around in his mind. And he's listening and he's watching and he's lost in thought. But he's not the only one at that fireside who's lost in thought. And someone strikes up from across the fire. You also are not one of his disciples, are you? In the other Gospels, they say that he's a Galilean and that his accent gives him away. The way that he speaks proves he's from the same region Jesus came from. It's as though they're saying, you ain't from around here. Just like how my accent and Lloyd's accent give away the fact that we aren't originally from around here. We each hail from opposite sides of an island thousands of way, miles away from Vancouver. The way Peter spoke gave away his belonging to Jesus. My accent, Lloyd's accent, indicate that we aren't originally from around here. Maybe there's some other customs and, and mannerisms that Peter had that gave him away, that kind of just screamed and oozed out of his being, I'm from Galilee. It was those things which caused those people around the fireside to look at Peter and say, you're not one of his disciples, are you? Because you talk funny, like him, and you behave differently. You have these mannerisms and customs you cross yourself before you pray, and you pray before you eat, and you hesitate to join us in mocking him. Do you follow him? Again, Peter denies it, and emphatically, he says again, I am not. And almost as soon as he says it, and the words come out of his lips, someone else chimes in. But this time, it's not just any person around the fire. It's not just another servant or another soldier. It's a witness. And not just any witness. It's Malchus's relative. Remember Malchus? 
you remember, Peter tried to cut off his ear and he did, and then Jesus healed. Yeah. Well, when they went to arrest Jesus, one of his relatives was in the garden too. And he came along to the trial, and he's been standing all night by this charcoal fire. And he looks at Peter, and he opens his mouth and says, did I not see you in the garden with him? Weren't you the guy who drew the sword to try and defend Jesus when we came to arrest him? Weren't you the guy who cut off Malchus's ear? Because I'm sure I saw you there. Peter's already gripped by fear and confusion, and he's feeling disillusioned. But now something else begins to well up to the surface. Shame. Shame for what he's done. He's been with Jesus. He did things for Jesus, whether Jesus told him to or not. He had done some good things when he was with Jesus, and that very night he had also decided to do something bad. And he felt the shame for cutting off Malchus's ear, for doing wrong, even though in the moment he thought he was doing good. And he also felt shame for doing good things with Jesus, because those around him were now saying that Jesus' way wasn't to be followed anymore. Could Peter meet the look of the eyes staring back at him from across the fire? He'd been up all night. His world was falling apart. There's no emphatic denial this time. And it seems like John can't even bring himself to record the precise words of this third and final denial. All he writes is, Peter again denied it. And that's all it says. It really doesn't matter what Peter said. It matters what he did. And in this moment, as soon as he denied Jesus again, immediately a rooster crowed. And at its sound, Peter knew that Jesus had been right. But what does all this have to do with being sorrowful and thankful for the death of Jesus? Peter stood condemned after the rooster crowed. He wept and he fled. But his story doesn't end here. Far from it. You see, earlier in this passage, when Jesus was still in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said something really important. And even though Peter was there, he didn't understand the significance of what Jesus said. It's the very moment when Jesus is betrayed by Judas. Judas had gathered a group of soldiers to come with him to arrest Jesus. And in chapter 18, verse 4, we read, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. I am he. I am he. Peter says, I am not. And he's emphatic. He doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. Any of the cost of associating with Jesus for being known as one of Jesus' followers. Every time Peter is asked if he followed Jesus, he emphatically says, I am not. But before Peter ever opened up his lips to deny him, Jesus had already said, I am he. I am he. 
And we're told he said it, knowing all that would happen to him. Knowing Peter would deny him three times before the rooster crowed. Knowing the shadow trial he would endure that very night. Knowing his answer would result in the cross. Jesus opened up his mouth and he said, I am he. Jesus preempts Peter's rejection and denial. Before Peter could ever disown Jesus, Jesus chose Peter. Before Peter could ever move away from Jesus, Jesus moves towards him. And in love, Jesus chose to go to the cross. Because it was only by going to the cross that the cost of Peter's rejection could be paid for. And it was only by going to the cross that our rejection of Jesus could be paid for too and forgiven. Because it's not only Peter who denied Jesus. We have too. We also have a part to play. We betrayed Jesus to this cross. But how could that be? I mean, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I don't think any of us were there 2,000 years ago when Jesus was nailed to the cross. How could we have betrayed Jesus to the cross? Well, the thing is, we have denied Jesus. We have betrayed him in the truest sense of all. This Jesus, who is Lord of all, who is God among us, God with us, creator, redeemer, sustainer, king of kings and lords of lords, against this Jesus, we have all betrayed him. When we go and live our lives for me, we abandon Jesus for our own comfort. And we leave him alone in the garden so that we can live our own lives comfortably and not be inconvenienced by the God who made the world. When we go and live our lives for our bank statements, we have sold Jesus for prosperity. We have sought fortunes and wealth and pleasures and experiences at the very expense of knowing and trusting God. When we go and live our lives in secret religious piety, we have denied Jesus for fear. We dismiss the love and value he has for our neighbors and strangers when we refuse to open our mouths and share about the God we claim we love and adore. When we go and live our lives for the pursuit of power and fame, we have forsaken Jesus and all justice just to see our name in lights. We consider ourselves as more important than the God who made us and say we are more worthy of fame and power than the very one who gives us life. We have all betrayed God, who made the heavens and the earth. We have usurped his throne of majesty and might and tried to make our lives about us instead of the very God who made us. We have denied Jesus and sent him to the cross. We have sinned and transgressed against God. And our sins, our betrayals, were borne by Jesus to the cross. Because you see, we betrayed Jesus to the cross. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, knowing that Peter would deny him before daybreak, knowing that we would deny him through our rejection of him, Knowing all that would happen to him, Jesus came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? 
They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. When Jesus said those three words, I am he, he chose to go to the cross for you and for me. I am he. It's what Jesus says every single time we say, I am not. When we say, I am not a follower of Jesus. When we say, I will not follow Christ. Jesus preempts us all and he says, but I am he. And with those three words, he was arrested and tried. And then he was crucified. And as he hanged upon the cross, he suffered the penalty for our denial of him. He endured the wrath of God and bore the weight of our sins upon his own shoulders. He bore the weight of our betrayal upon himself. And he suffered the penalty of our rejection, the penalty of our sin. In the letter to the Romans, St. Paul writes, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. There upon the cross, he bears the cost of our rebellion, of our rejection, of our betrayal. There upon the cross, his love pours out as he grants us freedom. I am he. With those three words, Jesus chose to go to the cross and to forgive us of our sins. And on the cross, he said three more words, three last words. In chapter 19, verse 30, we find those final words. We read, Jesus said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. These words, it is finished, should feel sorrowful but not just because Jesus died. These words should feel sorrowful because of why Jesus died. Because through his death, our sins, my sins, your sins, were dealt with in his body. Jesus is not just a martyr suffering an unfortunate fate. He is the suffering servant bearing the sins of the whole world upon himself. But sorrow is not the only appropriate emotion. We can also be thankful because Jesus willingly chose this fate. And he chose this fate because he loves us. And nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So as you reflect upon the cross today, may it stir in you sorrow and thanksgiving. May you see your own betrayals and denials but may you see them graciously. Your sins forgiven by his sacrifice. May we all turn and be healed by God's love, put on full display. Let's pray.